How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, Minutemen, and humans created in the image of God to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Back in the house today, it is the last day of the first quarter of this year, and we have barely made progress. We just have a quarter of the year left, and we got a lot of work to do before everything turns into election news, fake fights between Republicans and Democrats. We have a lot to cover, no less consequential than saving humanity. And I want to continue on some of the things that we've been talking about. Tomorrow we're going to have guests on the entire time, so we're going to have a lot of things to clear the deck today. But on this theme of public health terrorism, the problems with the bioweapon vaccines are only beginning. That is the biggest observation I've had in recent weeks, that as appalling as the short-term problems were, the long-term will be even worse. And... The thing is, before I present everything today, how up is down, down is up, things that have saved lives are being trashed, headlined in all the major journals which are bought out by pharma, that ivermectin doesn't work, we'll get into that if we have time, and the shots are so safe and effective that they're killing everyone that we have to advertise uh, preventing strokes and heart attacks, and that we have to advertise fourth, fifth, and sixth doses because they don't really work, but they do work. How did we get here? How did we get here? What is going on? The truth is, they tell us in broad daylight what they are going to do. We just have to listen. This is a theme that I've learned. I get very fixated on an issue, as you well know. I try to study it as much as I can. And while you're doing that, you're going to miss other things. There's just too many things to look out for. So for all these years, I would cover very important issues that I would call sovereignty, civilization, society, security issues. You know, the things that undergird a constitutional republic and even just any safe and prosperous civilization. And it was very important to focus on those issues because we were dealing with civilization arson. But what I'm telling you is, as, as much as civilization arson seems to be the worst thing that global masters could do to you, it's not. Now we're facing, I mean, they, they destroyed our civilization. That ship has sailed. But what we are facing is public health terrorism, right? Life, the right to life, to live, is, is, is the bare bones thing. And if they are going to force things into our body, that literally destroy us and change us and monitor us, while at the same time blocking healthy things. And then they control the entire medical profession, from medical journals to the flow of money, the flow of information, 
where are we as human beings? So we'll get into that today. Our first sponsor, Patriot Academy. Folks, I'm really excited. May 22nd is coming soon. That is Patriot Academy's constitutional defense handgun course in New Mexico. Uh, Many of you have joined me out on our original venue in Nevada. Uh, This is before it gets really hot. It's still pretty warm there, but it is higher elevation. Five days of training with intellectual ammo and physical ammo. How to draw from a holster, how to clear malfunctions. Uh, We'll be at the Whittington NRA Center in Raton, New Mexico. Um, If you're within the area, drive. If not, you got to fly in. But it is 80% off the price. Again, um, if you Google, we're still working on a link. If you Google Constitutional Defense Course, Patriot Academy, it will come up right there at the top. You could sign up and you know, any questions about accommodations, ammo, things you have to buy, it's all on there. So we'll be talking about this soon in the coming days. We'll have Rick Green on again. So again, check that out at patriotacademy.com. I want to start off with the World Government Summit. It's been occurring this week. Maybe they're on day three of it. The World Government Summit. I'm not kidding you. That's the name of it. It's in Dubai. And here was the opener from CNN's Becky Anderson, the event's moderator. And the title of this session, Are We Ready for a New World Order? A New World Order. Notice Biden said that recently. Uh, One of the Ukrainian members of parliament said that on Fox, and she happens to be a neo-Nazi, by the way. They're openly talking about it. Okay, they're openly saying it, what they're doing. Now, obviously, who's going to be the granddaddy of all this? A guy like Klaus Schwab. Okay, so I want you guys to listen to a couple minutes here, but it's worth listening to. He gave a little bit of inspiration, a couple minute pep talk to kick off the, the, the summit. Last November, in partnership with His Excellency Mohammed Al-Gagawi, we brought together 60 top intellectual thinkers here in Dubai. Thank you to His Excellency for enabling this initiative to define a longer-term narrative to make the world more resilient, more inclusive and more sustainable. With all the current issues on our agenda, we tend to forget that we are in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, which accelerates global change in much more comprehensive and faster ways than the previous three revolutions. I'm proud that the government of Dubai has been so foresighted in establishing a center for the fourth industrial revolution in cooperation with the World Economic Forum. The objective is to quickly recognize the potential of new technologies as well as develop the necessary ethical and political frameworks around those new technologies to ensure that those technologies are human-centered and society-oriented. The world has to overcome not only the damage done to our economies and our societies by COVID-19, 
it also has to confront the repercussions of a dangerous clash between major global powers. History is truly at a turning point. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems and supply chains will be deeply affected. In times of crisis, the role of governments is more important and more relevant than ever. What is also needed is a summit like this one to go beyond crisis management and to look into constructive ways we can build our common future. Our futures are intrinsically connected to one another as the profound challenges to mankind such as climate change are globally interconnected and require collaborative responses. In conclusion, and despite all the challenges, we have to uphold our responsibility which we have towards the next generation and which we can only fulfill through collaboration on a national and on a global level. Okay, so there's going to be a fourth great industrial revolution. I mean, he's written a book on that already. Changing the world much quicker than we've ever changed it. Developing the ethical and political framework around those new technologies. Okay, what does that sound like? The new ethos that you deny treatment, you block treatment, you censor uh, speech, you even arrest people, you deny kidney transplants to people. We have to ensure that they're human-centered and society-oriented. And then he says, so we, we already know with COVID, and then he says very clearly that, that Ukraine, he didn't name it by name, but that's what he meant, the clash of global powers, uh, is the second half of this Great Reset. Energy, food, and supplies are going to be disrupted. The role of government is more important than ever before, and it can only be accomplished with global collaboration. Again, in the past, I would have rolled my eyes, okay, these are just a bunch of psychopaths, you know, playing run the world. But as we see, they've been successful in everything they've done. So if you don't emerge from COVID with a new mindset, not just about medical freedom and everything that, you know, has from vaccines to therapeutics to, you know, control of government, declared emergencies, um, you know, and, and fundamental rights, but suspicious of everything you see from government, everything you see from the media and from establishments, when they, you know, maniacally obsess about something for the good or for the bad, you know that it's the opposite of what they say. I don't mean like, you know, you should be mindless and not research an issue and just automatically, you know, determine where you're going to go based on the opposite of what they do. You know, they drink water, I'm not going to drink water. But I am saying if they are unnaturally gravitating to something, in a positive way, it's negative. And if they're unnaturally dumping on something, like ivermectin, why would you still dump on it? Right? You said it's over with. Right? Everyone agrees it's safe. Okay, so worse comes to worse, it doesn't work. You maybe got rid of some uh, parasitic issues. You know, okay, whatever. Why do you have to... It's the headline on the New England Journal of Medicine. It doesn't work. Of course it does. 
What are you trying to accomplish? But again, they will tell you blatantly what they are doing. That is a fact. Okay, so let's go through some of the basic things that we're, we're seeing from this new ethical and political framework that was created with, with the shots. More than ever, we're seeing well-known celebrities, sports figures just drop. You know, when it's a random person, it's one thing, but when you have a whole bunch of people that everyone has heard of suddenly have issues or die, there's something going on there. And it demonstrates what I believe that the appalling death toll and injury toll that we saw initially was just the tip of the iceberg and how we're going to see deaths for months and years to come. Because some of this is gradual, whether it's cardio, whether it's neurological, and many, many other sundry effects, microclotting. So everyone knows the news that Bruce Willis was diagnosed with aphasia and you know, basically said he's retiring. Family put out a statement. And everyone knows Bruce Willis. So what is aphasia? It impairs both the expression and understanding of language as well as reading and writing. It's, it's, it's terrible. Basically, I mean, it could turn someone into a vegetable. Terrible degenerative disease. Now, right off the bat, if he were 35, I'd say this is the shot right off the bat. Now, he's 67, still kind of young, but, you know, could happen. So on an individual level, we don't know. So there's no way with the little information we have, I could sit and say, oh, it's from the shot. I have no clue. But, and, and sometimes it could be temporary. It's not always permanent. But... I will tell you, you look at the Mayo Clinic and they make it clear it's caused due to migraines, seizures, or transient ischemic attack. And the transient ischemic attack occurs when blood flow is temporarily blocked to an area of the brain. That is exactly what we are seeing from the lipid nanoparticles breaking the blood-brain barrier and causing this stuff. So whether he was injured or not, I can't say. None of us could say. But it got a lot of people into doing research yesterday, and it turns out that there's 1,800 reports of aphasia in theirs, okay? 1,800. Again, we become you know, desensitized that we, we need to see hundreds of thousands and millions to pull something from the market now. I mean, typically, we would do this after a few dozen. But you understand, this is something that's very subtle, and it is very, often could be long-term. And we know anything immediately after, no one traces it back and no one's going to put it into theirs. So to have 1,800, in other words, there, there, there's a certain under-reporting factor. You know, we've seen before some studies say a factor of 41, whatever it is. You could say it's less for COVID. You could say the more severe it is, the less it is, the more nebulous it is, the more the, more the under-reporting factor. It's going to range by ailment. But th what I'm telling you is aphasia is something that's going to be much more underreported because it is much, much harder to prove unless it happened right away. It's a lot less well-known to doctors than at least myocarditis. Already in June, 
Austrian researchers posted an article titled Aphasia Seven Days After Second Dose of MRNA-Based SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine. A second dose of a SARS-CoV-2 vaccination may be followed by intracerebral bleeding, though the pathophysiology of ICB remains unexplained. A causal relation between ICB and the vaccination cannot be excluded. Risk factors for ICB should be carefully monitored in patients undergoing SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. Do you know anyone carefully monitoring that or the 5,000 other ailments? No. Again, I mean, this is not even news anymore, but we've become so desensitized. So all I'm saying is we don't know with Bruce Willis, but it got us all into researching this and whoa, it's right there and there's. One of just many, many, many things. Now, again, folks, if you already had vaccine injury and you want to boost your uh, immune system, if you are worried it will bother you, if you're worried about all the pathogens, if you just want to make sure you get colds less often, the single best way to do this is to go get yourself some Z-Stack from Dr. Vladimir Zelenko at ZStackLife.com slash Daniel. Put in promo code Daniel for your first offer for a discount. It's specially formulated in one pill, zinc, kirsten, vitamin C, vitamin D. You can't go wrong. It's the right dosage. Uh, all the government websites, all you know, under dose DNC. Most people are deficient in DNC and zinc. Um, and quercetin is just a great, you know, great immune booster thrown in there. So again, it's GMP certified, made right here in the USA. Now more than ever, you are the only one who can control your own health while while you still can. I would say, go to ZStackLife.com/Daniel promo code Daniel. So I wanna. I don't want to pre-spoil this, but I will give you guys an exciting heads up. I mean, it's terrible news, but it's exciting that it will have a paper on this. A while back, um, a couple months ago, we had Spiro Pantazatos. He is a professor of clinical neurobiology at uh, Columbia University, very smart guy, put together a paper, which of course no one would publish, so he put on a preprint server, and it was very unique. It looked at all-cause mortality, time-staggered by age bracket, juxtaposed to the age bracket take-up by time of the vaccine. He used census data, he used CDC data, and he did a similar thing in Europe and in Israel. So you get kind of different sections of the world. It was beautifully done. No one could lay a glove on it. They just ignore it. And, you know, it showed very disturbing things. It showed a tremendous amount of miscarriages, infants dying. It showed a take-up of unvaccinated deaths uh, coincided with the take-up of the vaccine, which could be either shedding or antibody disease-dependent enhancement, a viral enhancement that affected everyone. And it showed an unmistakable age-stratified death especially among younger people. And he came away with the fact that even if you have no treatment for COVID, right, which of course we do, so most COVID deaths are avoidable, but let's just say, you know, you get COVID and you're bound to die from it, there's nothing to do. He, he, he made it very clear that automatically anyone under 45, it wasn't worth it. Okay, that's what he found. And again, now we know more that it made the virus worse and everything, so it wasn't worth it for anyone but that's what he found off the bat. What he, using his mathematical 
uh, computations, he estimated a median average, you know, in, in the in the you know confidence interval of 180,000 vaccine-related deaths in the U.S. Um, through August, 180,000. And again, we become so desensitized because, you know, typically you pull a drug, okay, 10 deaths, 20 deaths, 50 deaths, 100 deaths, 180,000. Just shocks the consciousness. And it's mandated and advertised and shoved on you in every which way. Not just made available with, you know, a warning if you want it. Okay, military careers destroyed, healthcare careers destroyed of doctors, the world destroyed based on this. And I noted at the time that was a very significant date because that was right, three things happened around that, you know, end of August. Um, Pfizer got its license, obviously it was really commodity, but, you know, de facto to the public, it got its full licensure. That's when the mandate started. And that's when the boosters began, first with Pfizer and then with Moderna uh, in September. And it has been noted by a lot of people from many different data points and anecdotes that the boosters qualitatively seem to be worse. So I spoke with uh, Dr. Panzazatos yesterday and I said, hey, you know, what's new? So I could give you a heads up. Within a week, he's coming out with an updated paper that's going to use a similar or maybe same methodology going through February of this year, so very recent. And through February, he's going to likely have some sort of window between 320 and 350,000 total vaccine injuries from the beginning. I, I want you to let that settle in your brain. Okay, and this is just the beginning. And the second point is he noted that, I don't have the numbers in front of me, that per capita, not capita, but per dose, in other words, if you would take the, you know, September through February tranche versus the, I guess, February 2021 through August 2021 tranche, there were more deaths per doses administered in the more recent tranche than the former. Now, whether that's due to the fact that boosters are inherently worse because of its accumulative dose sensitivity, whether it's all shots, even those getting there first because of the mandates or that's just when they got it, later because maybe the buffers were more stable so it didn't wear off as much, or whether it's a cumulative effect of the long-term effects beginning to take into account from the previous tranche. So you have the new ones plus now it's starting to price in the long term. So not just those that die, you know, within the first few days and weeks, but then you have the long term excess deaths. You know, I don't know. And it could be all of it's true, although I think he is going to verify based on timing that this is all short. I think it's short term. I think it demonstrates that it's from the take up, right? Because, you know, if there are people who got the shot, I don't know, last March, April, May, and they're dying, you know, November, December, you know, January of this year, February of this year, it, it wouldn't show up in his trends. It could be it's happening too, um, and it definitely is. It's more spread out, and I think they designed it that way. There's no question 
that we're having that. But he does believe that he didn't explain how he saw that. Again, I'm just, you know, giving over a private conversation. This will be out hopefully in a week that it is dose dependent. And we do now have one of Pfizer's FOIA documents that was released. And by the way, we should be getting another batch today or tomorrow uh, released per court order that they knew it was dose dependent. So that could manifest in several ways. That could manifest in the dosage that they're giving you. They say it's standard 30 um, micrograms for an adult, but we now have it confirmed that they were playing around to some degree with a whole different range, and that would explain the realm of outcomes. And we also know that it could be a cumulative effect too. So maybe you got a 30 microgram, maybe you even got a 10 or 20, but maybe there's a certain amount that's still with you and then it 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 adds up and this is a little bit on a surface level the theory behind why people who had covid and certainly not only did they not need a shot even if it were safe and effective it's not going to you know pr- provide better immunity than prior infection but it actually made people more vulnerable because their body was already primed you already have a dose of spike so Again, what I've been telling people is what the evidence shows is it's dose-dependent. So typically there's a window that you have the initial thing to just register in the body that until you get that dose, your body's going to chew it up and it won't render anything. And then you have the other end of the spectrum. Most things at some level will be toxic that could cause a certain amount of injury and potentially death. And you have that sweet spot of a window with pharmacology that it's, it's effective but it's still safe, okay? Basic pharmacology. What has become quite evident is that even to the extent you will have a degree of prophylactic benefit against some degree of severity of symptoms for a certain amount of time, it's dose-dependent, and they were struggling with that, and the only way they can get a dose that would even juice you up for a few months will cause you a hell of a lot of problems. So there is no window, right? Whereas with ivermectin, we know, of course, it's dose-dependent, right? Especially with Delta, you're not going to get, you know, just based off of the parasitic use, 0.2 migs one time, it was able to down the parasites. No, you're going to need more, but there's no evidence of toxicity using the doses that the FLCC and others recommended. So often they'll do these studies and again, uh, this is just one of the many things with the recent studies, the one they, from today with New England Journal of Medicine and you know the one in JAMA that they're all coming out with all of a sudden. Uh, you know That's always the thing. They underdose it, either the, the dosage or the days. But, you know, whoa, I don't want to do more. But why? If it's not toxic and you know it helps, then do that. But with the vaccine, it is a problem. So everything is the opposite of what they say. But I wanted to give you that heads up. And by the way, this is not me. This is a direct quote from the UK Guardian. You could look it up. It's an article um, from yesterday, near record COVID cases through, um, uh, in, in the UK. Unfortunately, immunity from vaccines wanes over a matter of months, mostly against infection, but also against severe disease and death. It's right there. So, you know, any time they tell you, oh, no, 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 it still provides a protection, that's a lie. And again, I think 
it doesn't wane against infection. It never worked against it. I think the waning is over time, it, it, it goes negative. And that's been proven negative 350% in uh, some cohorts in the UK. But against severe disease and death, I think it's dose dependent. But if you had, put it this way, if you had enough dose to give you a benefit, you're going to have serious issues. Okay, you're going to have serious, serious issues from this. Another point I wanted to make from you is that studies have been done over the years that show, you know, there is a lot to work with when you look at Google searches. Google searches is a very candid way of revealing what's on people's minds, and there's a reason why it's on people's minds. So this guy, Juan Chami, Chami, I don't know how to pronounce his name, really good guy, very smart guy, C-H-A-M-I-E, He's a data analyst, and he does work for the FLCC. He, he did an analysis of searches for thrombosis in the United States over time. Okay? And he found an insane spike, an insane spike right around the booster time. You know, first before and the booster time coinciding directly with the uptake of the vaccine. And it is still at a very high level, even in 2022. Again, there aren't that many people who have gotten the shots recently. Okay? Um, so what's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? You know, you look at... um. You look at the markers. Okay, we're up to, where are we up to? 66% fully vaccinated in America. 66%. Okay? Since the beginning of January, it's gone up less than two percentage points, two, two points. It was at like 63.5, 64, depending on where you draw the line. Now it's at 66. We, we haven't had that much because it, it, it kind of, I mean, there, again, there are still people on, on the hook but it's more like the damage was done. So whoever was forced to get it, got it. Whoever wasn't, didn't get it. And certainly if you didn't want to get it and you're not forced to with a mandate, you're certainly not going to get it now. So there aren't that many people getting it. Um, and, you know, maybe now you'll have an uptake with the dumbest people of all getting a fourth dose. But, you know, you had a few boosters here and there, but most of them already got it, you know, the end of 2021. So, you know, as of recently... The point I'm trying to make is that if this is only a short-term phenomenon, then we should have known about, you know, that 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 that, sh that should have gone, gotten out with the in the wash. The fact that you're seeing this is amazing. Now, he said you saw a little bit of an increase with COVID, you know, at the beginning in 2020 with thrombosis. Very little. And we know it does certainly cause blood clotting. That's why we ad actually advocate for treating it with aspirin early on, like the others you know, scorned at and attacked aspirin. But the surge is like exponential with the uptake of, of the vaccines. And again, COVID was always thrombotic. I would argue it was more thrombotic with Delta, but people didn't know that. So... I just thought that was a very fascinating point to share 
the Google searches are very, very, uh, very revealing. Very revealing. Um, then there is, um, where is this? Well, should we go on? Yeah, let, let me, let me, uh, let me go on to this point before we, before we go on here. So the army, I am sitting on a document here and it looks very official it's official enough that I could tell you this. I'm looking at it with a disclaimer that I'm just not 100% sure yet. But if if it is verified where it comes from, I will put it into writing. But someone in the service sent it to me that they made an ironclad rule. You can only give someone a medical exemption within four if, – if the adverse event occurred within four hours of the shot – Four hours. So kind of in the theme today about the long-term effects, they know that. And that's why they're trying to limit it to within four hours. Think about that. Shocking. And, and again, I have confirmed stories in the military where people got myocarditis, they got neurological injury, and they mandated they get the second shot. They got it after the first dose, and they mandated they get the second one. So it does seem like they are doing that. But this is a document that says that, that would be unbelievable. And by the way, I just want to mention, speaking of the military, I've been talking about with a lot of the shows we were doing on the destruction of the military, this from Breitbart, Army reducing its numbers in face of recruiting difficulties. Undersecretary of Army Gabe Camarillo said in a press conference, we're facing obviously some challenging conditions in terms of our ability to recruit and attract talent. Um, he blamed it on a tight labor market. <laughs> You know, like, yeah, the economy is drawing them off, um, but that's not the story. He said their, their, their numbers would go from the Army's strength. This is the Army, not all the military, but the Army would go from 485,000 to 476,000 uh, next year or um, this fiscal year. And then next fiscal year down another few thousand, 473,000, because they can't hit their recruitment goals. And I noted that if you're going to turn it into a social engineering, um, transgender, woke, racist, crazy hole, and mandate the clot shots and have terrible missions, terrible strategic vision, who are you going to attract? Remember, the, the largest number of people who didn't get the shots are teenagers, young, and rightfully so, young people. That's where you're going to draw upon for your recruitment. They're all disqualified unless they get the shots from entering the military. Who's going to join? Your yellow-haired hippie that at 18 years old decided to get three shots? That guy's not going to want to join the military. Those people don't join the military. Okay? You know, your pimper Generation Z type? Are you kidding me? So Republicans are obsessed about, oh, we're not spending enough money on the military. They never mention anything about the policies. You don't, you don't have a military left to fund. So I just wanted to get that out as we talk about the appalling long-term effects on what's going on in the military. And one more story about this with the long-term effects. One of the things we're seeing is, 
there's an insane, insane degree of sudden, unexplained deaths. People dying in their cars, dying in their, their dorm beds or whatever you call them at the military on these bases and particularly at Fort Bragg. Now, I've heard there were four in an in a Alaska base that were found just suddenly dead, young, healthy people. Um, I'm working on getting data. We have baselines on people who die in the military and active duty, um, not by base, but divided by kind of cause, you know, is it homicide, suicide, drug overdose, ailment, injury, you know, like like a you know, helicopter crash. They they have that data, but we, they, we don't have it for 2021 yet. I don't know when it comes out. If they're hiding it, I don't know yet. Um, but I have the other years, the data, baseline. Um, my understanding is typically in a given year, you only have about 180 people who die of ailments in the active duty military. Pretty consistent over the years uh, per the size of the military. You know, the size does fluctuate a little bit as we're talking about. So we have already in theirs 127 extra deaths from the shots. And that has to be woefully underreported because you know with the stigma in the military – it's even worse because you have the double stigma, the stigma of the medical profession in implicating the shots and the stigma of the military. So certainly anyone who didn't die immediately, they're not going to mark that. And a lot of these people, we're finding they're dying months later. Months later, out of nowhere. There is a Rolling Stones reporter that is reporting on Fort Bragg. There seems to be a ton of deaths, and I'm trying to verify his work. Um... But for now, I want to share with you an article from the Fayetteville Observer in North Carolina. Now, Fort Bragg is is huge. It is, I believe, the biggest base. Um, several hundred thousand people there. Uh, a lot of training courses are there. Obviously, it's the home of the Green Berets of the 82nd Airborne. So a lot of the, the special divisions um, and many other things there. But again, you, you have too much of this. And this is just one example from earlier this week, a soldier pronounced dead at the hospital after being found unresponsive in a parked vehicle. In a parked vehicle. And, I, and again, I've heard this a lot. On Fort Bragg, Friday was identified as Major Eric Adam Ewaldson. He's 38. He's in, he, he was, um, the statement was put out by U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Okay, so this guy was a special operator of some sort. 38. Special operator suddenly dies. And in this case, they didn't even lie like they did in other cases and said it was like a training accident. No, he died in his car. Okay? Cause of death was not released. They're they're initiating a probe. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out about the details. Um, he entered the Army in 2006... He was part of the 4th Brigade 25th Infantry at Fort Richardson, Alaska. Then he went on to the 75th Ranger Regiment. And then the 2nd Striker Brigade Combat Team uh, in the 2nd Infantry Division. And then more recently, he was assigned in the U.S. Army Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg. Multiple deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, Really, really good guy, it seems. And so many of these amazing people are going down. They are going down. And we know this. We know this is what they're doing. 
Folks, I want to share with you one other video clip, okay? This is from ABC 10 News, Sacramento, that demonstrate they, they did an interview with Fauci. It's a local ABC affiliate in Sacramento. They recently, I guess this week, did an interview with, with Fauci. And it demonstrates that they've been manipulating mRNA for ages. Okay? Remember, Moderna clearly was created as a Trojan horse for government. It wouldn't surprise me if it was the Intel community or DOD involved. You know, Pfizer is just the big pharma that's been around. They're going to take advantage of everything. But Moderna came out of nowhere. They never produced the product, and somehow they co-led on this issue. And then all of a sudden now we hear, oh, they have 15 other mRNAs very close to being finished. Some of them are very close to being finished. Whoa, where did this come out from? What, what, wait, so you have all these mRNAs. You've been around for a decade but haven't produced anything. Right? You think, I don't know, a good cholesterol drug, a blood pressure medication, something. Some sort of medical device, nothing. No product to market. Suddenly, they they hit it big with the biggest player, Pfizer, you know, alongside them on the biggest thing ever. And then now we hear, oh, there's all sorts of other mRNA they have out. Why the timeline? Why the timeline? Take a listen to this clip of Anthony Fauci with ABC 10 News. Sped up the process. Would it be fair to say if not for the pandemic kind of pushing that technology forward, we wouldn't be at this point now with HIV vaccine tests? Oh, there's no doubt about that. And since mRNA is a faster, less expensive way of creating vaccines than the traditional protein-based method, it creates endless possibilities. You never want to get too excited about something until you've proven it works. But at least we know from the experience with COVID that this is a very uh, exciting and potentially important technology. Dr. Sheaf told me these trials are just step one. And because HIV is such a complex virus, one vaccine alone probably will not provide protection. But knowing that mRNA vaccines work brings them closer to a series of shots that can. Folks, did you hear that? What's clear that they're saying is that they needed a catalyzing event like the mass psychosis of the fear of a pandemic to grease the permanent skids for mRNA, for gene therapy. Why? Because it's cheaper, it's quicker, and frankly, it's more deadly. That's not a bug, it's a feature of what they're trying to do, in my view. So Fauci and Moderna credit the pandemic for accelerating mRNA HIV vaccine development. That's the title of this ABC News story. HIV mRNA. You hear that? Okay, you don't have a company around for 10 years, develops nothing, and then immediately comes out with the worst pandemic ever. They come out with uh, you know, a shot for it. Novel technology. And again, we know now that they patented this years ago. They were working on this for years ago. They had it years ago because they had the virus years ago because players who are working with them clearly created it years ago at a minimum 2016 or so. And incidentally, they were also working on every other shot using mRNA. 
again, at its most basic level, it's not a vaccine. A vaccine introduces your body to a pathogen, either live, attenuated, gutted. Here, it sends mRNA into millions of cells, programs it to create pathogenic spikes and distributed with toxic inflammatory lipid lipid nanoparticles all over your body. That's at a minimum before we get into graphene and other fancy stuff. I mean, that's, that's at a minimum what it does. Okay, straight up. Gene therapy. They knew people wouldn't go for it. So they use a catalyzing event to force it. And now you grease the skids. Oh, mRNA is awesome. Look, we all did it. So this is my point. This is continuing. And again, that's why they never produced anything before then. I thought that was extremely illuminating. Um, answers a lot of questions that ABC report. So this is where we are. Alrighty, so as always, I run myself up against the clock, and we don't have that much time remaining, and I promise to get to the ivermectin study. Okay, so you have blaring on the front page of the New England Journal of Medicine yet another study, largest randomized controlled trial ever, showing that ivermectin doesn't work. Um, so... Everyone's always emailing me, just like after the JAMA one. Dan, Daniel, what's the story? What's the story? And, I mean, y- you can't fall for this garbage every time. It's literally the same people and journals behind and associated with pumping the thing into people's bodies we just talked about with over, probably over 300,000 de- deaths in the United States from it and negative 350% efficacy and the trials showed it the safest and most effective thing around. And we're going to believe it like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football? Again, remdesivir, same thing. Remember molnupiravir? Merck's drug, miracle drug. Do you know a single person who's used it? Do you know a single person who's been cured by it? Where are the people crawling over glass to... um? use Molnupiravir and Paxlovid. I mean, you all know about the crazy black market that was created with ivermectin, some other drugs. People were dying for them. And and they were trashed. Yet Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, and Remdesivir have the most money, media, every medical establishment, journalist behind it, and yet the public doesn't clamor for it. Okay? Market forces are the most powerful thing. People vote with their feet. Like, for example, the people migrating from New York to, Cali- to, to Florida, that, that is a, it, that's bigger than any study. So right off the bat, there's common sense. You have to understand, before I even get into details, and I haven't even read most of it, I haven't had time, just looked at some observations, it's not even worth it, because we know they fabricate the data. And here's the main point I want to get across to you. It's not about ivermectin. It's not about this particular study in the New England Journal of Medicine and the next one they'll have. This is what we're up against until the end of time. Anything that is dangerous that is supported by pharma because either they can control you because it's like technologically advanced and does stuff to you like the vaccine or it's just kind of a way to make several billion off of, of governments like Paxlovid and Molnupiravir and Remdesivir, um they're going to have all good information on it. And anything that will 
come into conflict that, with that that might heal people, it will be bad. So use your imagination. We've had over 60 studies showing it works phenomenally. All different types of studies from all different places. And it was batting 1,000 until recently. Notice that because it caught them by surprise. So people were looking at it. Doctors were studying it. Then they said, oh, we're going to go and study it. And none of, none of those things get put in high-impact journals because they block them, they censor them. And I have all the stories from authors who went into this. And then suddenly all their stuff works. Here's the most important thing you have to know how the scam works. They created this notion from day one that randomized, double-blinded, randomized controlled trials are the gold standard. They created a pyramid of evidence and they say, this is more than this. There's observational co cohort study, retrospective cohort study, meta-analysis, in vitro, in vivo, whatever. But it doesn't really work that way. Because double-blinded double RCTs are not the best piece of evidence. It's more of a side-by-side -side pieces of, of a puzzle, not a pyramid. Each one, if done properly, has strengths and weaknesses. And that's in a world with non-genocidal fraudulent players. You add on the fraud and genocide, RCTs are even worse. Because they're manipulated. They're very expensive if you want to do it large enough with a high p-value or low p-value. Um, you know, so this they claim is 679. Okay? When, by the way, the Itajai study with 113,000. So it wasn't randomized, it wasn't blinded, but they had people of an entire city, 113,000 entered ivermectin, you know, whatever, 30,000 were the placebo. And the reason why you want it to be blinded and randomized is because you might get con confounders. But in their study... They published, it was the most transparent study. You could look at all of the information and biomarkers and blood tests and progression of every one of those 113,000 people uploaded by you know Dr. Flavio and the other people who did it with him. No one could lay a glove on that. And it showed a massive, massive reduction. You know, it was like you know, 60% or so, and that was it was a prophylaxis study when the people that wound up getting it and going to the hospital, they didn't get over ivermectin as treatment. If they would have gotten high-dose treatment on the spot, it was low-dose treatment for prophylaxis. If you would have, once people got it, you get high-dose, would have been different. It would have been even higher. Okay? That study, to me, is more telling than some sort of RCT. We have some closed thing well, I don't know what you did. I have no clue what you manipulated. They're the easiest to manipulate. And also, they're extremely expensive. So the only people who have the power to do it are the ones with the money and the power to manipulate and not get caught. And that is big pharma and, and government. They have the money and they work to their, their one, obviously. They work together. And they control, and we've seen this, that Bill Gates funds the studies, he funds the journals, and it's the editors are all involved with each other. The editor of the New England Journal of Medicine has so many conflicts of interest, it's not even funny. 
and they're all involved, and they they ban anything else from getting into high impact. So they create like a brand. This is the gold standard journal. This is the gold standard way to do a study. So that allows them to stand on top of that pyramid and be the gatekeeper. I wanted you right away, just before we even get into anything, straight up they fabricate it. But even without that, right? I want you to understand that RCTs are very... Any slight thing could rig it. You give me the methodology, I'll give you an outcome. And that's what we saw with the um, vaccine studies, which were much bigger than 679. They claim it was tens of thousands of people. And there's no evidence they're better. Sometimes a retrospective cohort study is better because there was no dog in the fight. They claim, oh, no, no, we had it randomized. Oh, no. Yeah, right. I don't know that. You you controlled that whole thing. Whereas if you take, you go back, okay, I'm going to go back into medical records and look in the hospital, patients that were, you know, used aspirin and those that, that they didn't use aspirin. They used, you know, methylpred versus they didn't. Okay, that, that there was, it's retrospective. There's no dog in the fight. Oh, but there could be imbalances. Okay, but you could adjust for that. And in the case of the Etajai study, that wasn't retrospective cohort. That was, you know, forward-looking observational. Um, it, it, it was a trial, albeit not randomized and, and blinded. But actually, the sicker people were chose the ivermectin. So, you know, the, it's all transparent there. But I just wanted to read to you, Pierre Corey put this out, Dr. Corey, the Cochrane Library, which was was very good until Bill Gates bought them out a few years ago. They have a paper from, where is this? From April 2014. Healthcare outcomes assessed with observational study designs compared with those assessed in randomized trials. They actually compare, they do an analysis of the quality. Are RCTs really any better? Okay. And they come out with the fact our results across all reviews are very similar to results reported by similar conducted reviews. As such, we have researched similar conclusions on average. There is little evidence for significant effect estimate differences between observational studies and RCTs. Regardless of specific observational study design, heterogeneity, or inclusion of studies of pharmacological interventions, Factors other than study design per se need to be considered when exploring reasons for a lack of agreement between results of RCTs and observational studies. Our results underscore that it is important for review authors to consider not only study design, but the level of heterogeneity in meta-analysis of RCTs or observational studies. And that's their point. Right there, the Cochrane is the standard on, on methodology. And they are saying that the whole thing is a myth. This whole RCT thing... So, again, before this particular one, I just want to show you why they created it. Long before ivermectin, they've been doing this for, for at least a generation, evidence-based medicine. It's designed to box out any competitor and ensure they, they control the flow of publication, and they're the only ones who have the money to do this. But also, it's the most manipulable. Okay, you can manipulate it so easily. Because I don't know, I know a public database on what treatments were used. We could look it up and I could say, yeah, I don't like your analysis because I could look at it. It's all transparent. In RCT, I have to rely on you. Oh, but we, 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 we put the information out. Yeah, you could have made it up. 
Okay, you you they've they, they've done that before. Okay, we now know that the vaccine trials were fraudulent from head to toe. I'm saying even before you get into the stuff that we know that even if you rely on their data, here's what screws you know this is screwed up. So I'll mention some of that, but I just wanted to give that to you from right off the bat. So what are some of the things? So again, to begin with, the doses began after seven days, okay? Now it does have efficacy after seven days, but it is reduced. So Monopiravir and Paxlovid were only studied within, it had to be within three days, and the approval is only within five, and here you're starting it after seven. Again, something that is novel, dangerous. Monopiravir is as dangerous as anything. Paxlovid is with Rotonavir that has tons of um, uh, contraindications that pretty much anyone who's vulnerable to COVID is taking something that is going to be contraindicated. It's novel. We don't know. Haven't established a safety profile. And we subject it to one study put out by the manufacturer and only subject it to a standard of working really early. Here, it was only in people after seven days, right? But ivermectin does have efficacy, but I just want to point that out. Okay. Obviously, it was, you know, monotherapy, but that's fine. Um, Because, again, I just want to say, none of us says ivermectin's 100. You know, it was like, you know, 80 with um, uh, the original one, 50 to 60 with Delta, and that's huge. But we want to give people 100, which is why we recommended monotherapy Hit it hard, hit it early, hit it often. Um, it's got to be, you know, at least five days with Delta, full dose. They only did three days here, um, and this was with Delta, by the way. Um, and they, they they say no, you know, no, uh, no statistically significant. I mean, I think there were, there were, you know, small number of efficacy, but statistically insignificant. Um, right off the bat, we have the other RCT, which was published in. JAMA, the other high impact, that they said it doesn't work. But then what we found was the secondary outcome that they ignored was a 70% reduction in mortality, but it was a 91% confidence in interval just below the 95. So we, we just had them publish in JAMA, so that's the right people, a 91% chance that it reduced mortality by 70% in a, in a group of patients that were 100% comorbid and majority obese and 68% already had COVID lung, yet ivermectin monotherapy had 70% reduction. 91% confidence in that. So, you know, could, you know, go in either direction, but clearly something there. And now they're telling us, nope, this study, it with even, you know, a lot of them were, weren't even hospitalized yet. It was after seven days, but most of them were outpatient. Nothing. So right off the bat, you should be like, okay, what? What's up with that inconsistency? Like, if you're going to lie, just Ralph Larigo's testimony of the dozens of people, he's the lawyer that got people ivermectin, on freaking ventilators, sometimes for several several weeks, were turned around right away. Again, that's more powerful than any study. It's reality. Some things you know it works because it works. To what degree, with what other therapies, at what dose, at what time. That's what we need studies for. But the notion that there's a degree of efficacy there when there's a paper with 20 mechanisms of action that no one has ever refuted and no other drug is purported to do that, we know it works. 
aspirin has just one mechanism of action and there's a degree of efficacy, right? So there's no way there's not a degree. You can say, no, it's not as much as you think. But when you come away and say there's zero efficacy, dude, like, we know that's not true. Okay, remember, the biggest study we have is the fact that there are so many independent doctors with no nothing to gain and everything to lose were risking their licenses. Some had it suspended from 100 different con- countries, different backgrounds, and they all concluded the same thing, that it worked. Why would they use it if it didn't? It wasn't shoved on them. It was the opposite. Okay? So who are you going to trust? These big companies putting out these big journal studies from the same people that said the stuff that was safe and effective was unsafe and ineffective. Then they note that there's no PCR data. You know, what cycle threshold? And that's important because there's a lot of false positives. Okay, not a lot of people died here. So... This is another game they play. If I have a population that's really young and healthy, now I'm not saying they did that here. I didn't look at the demographics, but I'm just giving an example. Young and healthy, and they didn't, uh, you know, that, 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 that filled up the pool of the trial. Well, you know, most of them aren't going to get severely ill anyway, so you're not going to see much of a difference. Now, that wasn't the case here. It was more comorbid, but another example is PCR testing. We now know that a fewer people than we thought had it during that time period because of the false positives. So if you don't give CT value, we don't know how many were false positives because the more false positives you have, the more the efficacy is going to go down because you didn't really have it. So of course you had a good outcome even in placebo. Another thing is the authors in their disclosure form, and it is disclosed there, so they didn't hide it, but the the... The media is not going to push this out. You want it? You ready? Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Australian government, NovaQuest, Regeneron, Merck, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca. Oh. Again, didn't fund the study, but the authors have taken money from them and had, you know, had to put that in their disclosure. Interesting. Okay? Our authors and Patriot doctors don't have money from them. So it's interesting how the results seem to fall along those lines. And also, I would just note, notice the media strategy behind this. I mentioned this before. This is the third tranche. They teased out an initial thing months ago. Then they teased out the results without the study like a few weeks ago. And now they published the study. So that was designed almost like a political campaign. So people think, man, there's a bunch of these studies showing it doesn't work. But they had three news cycles. It's, it's the same study. If you're really scientific and you're really just trying to get to the truth, you wouldn't have done that. That reeks of a political agenda. Um, so there's that. I'm trying to think what else is here. Um, so another thing is that it was conducted in an area where ivermectin, a part of Brazil, where ivermectin is extremely common, right? So it was like used 10 times more than any other place. They did not exclude 
prior use of ivermectin. So it, it is not known whether people, whether the placebo took it or not. That was another common thing we found in another Latin American study a while back ago that said it didn't work. That um, it was they, they didn't they did not exclude that. I mean it, that 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 if one of our people would submit something to a high impact journal with that, they would have thrown it out just on those grounds. There also. The randomized thing wasn't random. It was not a randomized controlled trial. The, the trial protocol states participants are randomly assigned with equal allocation. Allocation of participants to treatment arms is uniform across all concurrent interventions as well as placebo. So did the randomization process equally and randomly assign patients to various arms in equal measures at equal times? What does that even mean? Um, there's a lot of other evidence that people have presented, I've seen online, that it was it was clearly selected. There's no way randomized could, could turn out that way. And then it turns out that 60% of patients in the placebo group didn't adhere to the protocol and dropped out. That, that is an automatic disqualifier. People have pointed that out a little bit with um, some of the versions of the Pfizer trials with the, with the vaccine. But this was 60%, and only 40% adhered to the placebo. It's right in table two. So that's nuts. And then if you look at C19 early, they do all the analysis. I'm going to read to you from their analysis. The paper was delayed over six months. And this is how they've you know, teased it out. And I don't have time to get into it, but they did this with enzalutamide on androgen blockers. They, they delayed it 12 months. It's all manipulated. The companion fluvoxamine arm completed at the same time was published August 23rd. And that, right, that was the first tease. Why did this take six months longer? Also, folks, a basic question on a different note. Why did Paxlovid, you know they waited a year? I mean, they had this thing that was so effective, 90%, but in real life, no one seems to see that. Why is it that they waited a year to come out with it? Why did it take that long? Well, we all know because they have to wait till the vaccines fail. The irony is even now, they're not like promoting Paxlovid. Most people don't get it. It was just enough that they could earn a few billion from each government because they get a bulk contract up front. But it's not actually used. So it's like even the most optimistic person realizes that the shots have are much less safe. And even if they want to say it's still effective, but everyone agrees it's not 90%. I mean, that's that's for sure, even in the people living in a myth world. Well, you're telling me Paxlovid's 90%. So why shouldn't Paxlovid be the new vaccine? Kind of interesting, right? And the answer is because Paxlovid was just to get money. The shots are much more than money. That's what we're talking about. That's to control you. That's And who knows what's in it. That's much more insidious. Um, patients with recent ivermectin use were not excluded from the trial. I mentioned that already. Ivermectin was available over, over the counter. And there were very high sales rates in that area. Um, table 3 shows 21 and 24 deaths. So 21 deaths in ivermectin, 24 in placebo. Table S6 shows 20 and 25. 
So you have an inconsistency with the most. There's one thing if it's like a minor data point of like, you know, the, the blood pressure rates of each. But this is death and they're small numbers. So you got to get that exact. I mean, what's up with that? Um, so there's fraud right there. Table two per protocol number show 92% per protocol patients for ivermectin and only 42% for the control. So I mentioned that already that, um, you know, most people in ivermectin adhered, whereas with placebo, only 42%. Um, so there's that. For the companion fluvoxamine arm, 24% of patients had an unspecified time from onset. Um, in this trial, zero patients have an unspecified time from onset, according to Table 1. Okay. Um, and by the way, they never say where they recruited the people, the locations, and the times. That's in any high-impact journal that's, that's going to be published. They would have thrown out any study just for that in the past. Um, the, flu, the companion fluvoxamine arm ran from January um, 20th to August 5th of last year, while this trial ran from March 23rd to August 6th. Um, the Fluvox control arm shows 16 of 756 controlled patients with asthma. The ivermectin control arm has a subset of these patients, but shows a much higher prevalence of asthma. It does not appear to be possible for both of these to be correct. Um, and, th and there's a lot of this. I mean, there's probably more information than you want, but I just wanted to give you a flavor of, of what's going on here. Oh, and then the side effects. This is an interesting thing. So they don't publish the side effects in the study. It's a supplemental, which is a, I mean, w what are the two biggest things? Is it safe and is it effective? Two things, right? So that's part of the body of it. They, they, they didn't even publish adverse events. You do that, you know, they waited to the supplemental. That's never done. That's bizarre. I don't know what they're trying to do with that, but that, that's never allowed. But um, so another point is they had a lower, so when you look at the GI, the, um, the issues with adverse events, there's actually a lower amount of GI in ivermectin group than in placebo. And that makes no sense because ivermectin certainly is very safe, um, doesn't cause major adverse events, but there's not, there's almost not a drug around that if you do a several, you know, 679 sample, that you're not going to have GI. Right, that, that's standard. You introduce something new in your body, and especially the people that are most sensitive. My wife always any antibiotic she has, she has GI from it. I I don't as much, but you you know you have a big sample. The people that are more sensitive in general, they will always be sensitive. They have a lower rate of GI in the ivermectin group. So again, that either suggests fraud, or uh, you know an equal number of the placebo group were indeed taking ivermectin. <laughs> okay, so this whole thing, this is, just, this is just on the surface what we could glean from what they did and did not post there.
Okay, I give you like 10 different things there. And again, we don't know. They could just fabricate the data. They've done worse, like poison millions of people. You know, they've kind of done worse, okay, with the vaccine uh, trials. So so don't, I, don't, I know it looks very scary. Oh my gosh, I see all of these headlines, these headlines. And some people are like, Daniel, what do we do? Maybe it doesn't work, I don't know. Dude, if they obsess about something to this degree, you know it's a fraud. If they said, nah, it's only 25, 30% effective. It's effective at 25, 30 that's more believable. You say zero, dude, you're a fraud. Now I want you to think about the implication of every other therapeutic, everything about medicine that is being censored and what is being promoted. That is the world we live in today. And that is why medical freedom and addressing this issue is the most important issue of our time. Tomorrow we're going to have a special show about 5G and the vaccines and the mixture of the two, Havana Syndrome. Uh, Send me your questions for our guests on that tomorrow. Until then, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.